This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, once again, you're listening to, you are downloading, you are streaming the DLR Cast. I'm Steve, and empty pockets never stop me from singing a blue streak. With my good friend and partner in crime here at the DLR Cast, Darren. Hey, Darren, what's happening? Hey, I, that was a great lyrical uh, usage right there. I think after that, the no, you have to go, I don't think so. But uh, either way, great to connect on Super Bowl Sunday now that I've made it unevergreen as an episode. Uh, there you go. So, uh, yeah, well, great, great uh, seeing you and talking to you again. We've had a lot of fun with this podcast. If you're new to the podcast, this is, as you heard in the intro, this is the podcast by and for fans of David Lee Roth. Don't confuse us with any official podcast out there. That does not happen anymore. <laughs> but I do believe we are the only podcast that's dedicated to the man, Diamond Dave, although we do. Go, it, we do take some avenues into unfamiliar and different places. You say only. I say number one. I think I still think that we are the number one David Lee Roth podcast in the world, and I'm standing by it. The metrics don't lie. Uh, you know what? It's, it's been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of success uh, for only just uh, really a handful of episodes, 20-something episodes. And if you are new to the podcast, you're checking this out. If you stumbled along, stumbled and found us via keywords or just being a fan or where, however that might be, we'll check out our previous episodes. We've had some great interviews, and we got one coming up. But we've had some great interviews of late. Uh, last episode before this was Doug Broad, author of They Just Seem a Little Weird, How Cheap Trick Kiss Aerosmith and Stars changed rock and roll. Before that, we had Steve Brown of Trickster, and it's been a hell of a lot of fun, Darren, to say the least. Absolutely. Lots of great interviews in the can and or. You notice how I did the and or, you know, the, the yes. disclaimer. Um, yes. Like the Simpsons, actual events may not have happened, but uh, lots to come. This is not the last episode, nor the second to last episode. <laughs> no. Now. <laughs> this is true this is true so not much news to talk about i mean uh, from the van halen camp i mean a week or two ago we were talking about whatever sammy was talking about of late uh about uh, who knows uh and of course wolfgang's been in the news fairly regularly because he's got it which is great because he's got what sounds to be an awesome record coming out uh mammoth wvh and he's always a great follow on twitter and the social media uh so I'm really looking forward to that. And, of course, as far as Dave is concerned, I mean, uh, I was chatting with somebody recently, and I think you and I may have talked about this a couple of weeks ago, too, and that is, is Dave living in Japan right now? That is a good question. I'm seeing Or has been during the pandemic, we should say. I'm seeing it go both ways. That L.A. Times article, was it, that was in his house when he was painting – would right. tell you otherwise, but then our earlier interview with Mitch Schneider would tell you that Dave uh, stages some of his photo opportunities. But at the same time, I thought Japan was restricting everyone that wasn't a citizen. But at the same time, I think that David Lee Roth would have whatever's visa is needed to be there. So, so many questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and when he, as I've heard him say once before, when he is gone, he is truly gone. <laughs> so when he drops off the radar. I mean, we're still seeing the artwork pop up on social media, but that's it. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, thanks to the, the person who gave us the tip that he may be abroad. That person, I don't know if he wants his name said, 
has lived around the Pasadena area and somebody around Dave's house, managing Dave's house, had given him that tip. I don't want it to seem like we're the podcast that camps out outside of David's house, but it's a famous, famous mansion. I didn't really know this kind of stuff until our Greg Renoff interview where he was talking about movies that have been filmed at that house. Right. I forget which oil tycoon family Dave's father bought the house from and Dave eventually bought or took over. I think maybe his siblings co-own it with him. Yeah, I, and I heard his sister lived there for a while too, and I had no idea the backstory on that on that house until we interviewed we interviewed until we had Greg on the podcast. Just fascinating stuff, which makes us sound like we're stalkers. But hell, you're in New York. I'm sitting here in Minnesota, where it's negative twelve degrees on Super Bowl Sunday. So I couldn't tell you where I I know where Pasadena is, but that's as far as it goes. So I mean, you know, like we always say. We're fans, but we're not fanboys. Yes, you have to make that distinction. But, uh, <laughs> bottom line is uh, there's a lot of great people listening to the show. Always love to get the comments and find out what people think. One of the, one of the first episodes uh, we put up where I was endlessly talking about the 1999 MTV Finland concert. We had a great <laughs> yes. listener named Lars who was saying, I was at that show and I'm holding up this particular sign. <laughs> so it's one of the greatest feelings in the world when you, you do something like this for fun, you put it out there and somebody actually responds to it and knows what you're talking about. So yeah, we have some of the greatest listeners possible. That is so cool. Very cool. Well, we got another great interview coming up. We've got Jeff Cardoni, who is, uh, this guy is an amazing musician and composer. You'll go th- Let's go through his credit as far as the stuff, he, the work he's done in television and movies. But he's also, he's got some serious shred cred as far as hard rock, Van Halen and David Lee Roth is concerned. And it was a fun interview. It's fun. Definitely. You guys had a great conversation. Thank you. Sorry to leave you out of that one. It was a random time availability thing. But I first encountered Jeff, I'm going to say six, seven years ago, the company that was promoting a soundtrack that he composed said, do you want to interview this guy? I Googled him and I went, he was an alien crime syndicate? What? And, (laughs) you know, spoke with him then. And a couple of years later, he has more credits. And then over the next few years, I'd be watching all these shows and it'd say composed by Jeff Cardoni. And he's composed for some of my favorite tv shows over the last few years like silicon valley the mike judge show ap bio which has uh dennis from it's always sunny in philadelphia the new saved by the bell reboot which is 80 times better than you'd think it would be i'm not (laughs) kidding you i am not kidding you but at any given time you know jeff has four shows on the air you'll you'll watch him like he did that too like, can, can somebody else get work, or is it just all going to Jeff? Yeah, if you go to his – if you look him up on Wikipedia, I mean, from 2000 on, there's just a, a slew of, of – um, God, a slew, a slew of movies he's, uh, he's worked on and TV shows. I mean, it's just – it's pretty amazing. And it was great to hear you guys talk about the fact that what a – how much he loves guitar, and I mean – you guys talked a little bit about one of my other favorite guitar players, Nuno Betancourt, and Extreme, and just um, it, it was just it was it was fun to talk about. I think everybody will enjoy it. There's other TV composers who I know and or know of who are also uh, shred. What do you say, shred cred shred? Shred. He's got shred cred. In other words, okay. he, he he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the uh, uh, our favorite kinds of guitar players. Well, I know at least of another one who has shred cred 
And it's really refreshing to hear composers who write, even if they're writing things with strings and horns that are very complex, that they grew up on the same music that you did. And in the case right. of Jeff, he's not the kind of guy that you say David Lee Roth and then he, you know, shows you his forearm has an Edom and Smile album cover on there. <laughs> it's, it, it's not like that. But right. he clearly knows every song by David Lee Roth and can play it. He's just extremely a modest, modest guy. And after the interview, we were talking a little off mic, and he said, my friend is the biggest David Lee Roth. And I go, oh, would I know your friend? And he named the producer on a really famous cable show. No <laughs> kidding. Hopefully that'll lead to an interview. But the, the bottom line is, wow, nice guy, does a lot, knows his Roth and Van Halen, yet has also evolved, just like DLR. I love it. And a serious musician, too. I mean, just it's he's... I'm very envious of anybody with that kind of talent. Yeah, I mean, he struggled, as he talked about in this interview. I think he said, you know, he's 30 and he's moving back to Pennsylvania or, or speaking with his parents in Pennsylvania with the kind of what are you going to do with your life? So it's also a good story to anybody who isn't where they think that they should be, especially after they've had a record deal or a brush with a record deal, that there is not a set timeline. And I think that I'm, I'm putting words in people's mouths. I think most people would kind of kill to have the career that Jeff does. But obviously, he's a nice guy who put in the work and did it himself as opposed to relying on a team or something of that nature to get to where he is now. That's awesome. We certainly appreciate him making the time to talk with you for the podcast. That's for sure. Yes, hopefully more to come. And yeah, thanks for, for tolerating another episode of me pushing you out of the way and hugging all the line. <laughs> all good, my friend. All good. Yeah, so thanks for listening. And we hope to uh, give you more content soon. Again, this is not the second to last episode or the third to last as far as I know. No, enjoy, folks. Take care. Is that a Van Halen 2 hat you're wearing? No, it's this charity. This uh, uh, My friend Kay Cannon is director. And, uh, oh, yeah. Jason Sudeikis, they have this charity uh, called Thundergong. So I ordered the hat. Anyway. That looks but like the Van logo, Halen yeah. 2 logo right there. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely Van Halen influenced. Yeah, it just so came in the mail yesterday. And I was like, so is awesome. Kay the Van Halen fan or is Jason the Van Halen fan there? Uh that's a good question. I'd say Jason. I think he puts the, the, the thing together, the concert. Um, Kay, ha Kay had a fundraiser the last few years at her house because she lives pretty close. And uh, so that's how I found out about it. But yeah, it's cool. Gotcha. Well, speaking of Van Halen and all that, like, did you start off as a shredder kind of musician and fan? Well, yeah. I mean, first I was, remember that movie Shine? with uh, Jeffrey Rush. Okay, that was how I started off, playing piano. Oh. So my whole childhood was the, you know, charting in at 5.30 in the morning playing piano, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but then as I got into high school, I was totally a rock freak. And uh, I, I first started on drums, like as I was still doing really? piano, I made a deal that I would play piano if, if they got me a drum kit. So my dad like loaned me the money to buy a drum kit. Uh, and I played and I had, <laughs> I actually was such a Van Halen freak. I had a drum kit that I took apart and painted black and white stripes, like spray painted it like, like Alex or Eddie's guitar. Yeah. Uh, 
and it had red symbols, double bass kick. So, like I was, a, I was a big Alex Van Halen fan. Uh, so I did that in high school, played drums in like metal cover bands and stuff. And then uh, later on in college, I picked up guitar and then I became obsessed with guitar because it was a time of, you know, rock was happening on guitar. So I was like into all the shredders. Like Steve Vai was my god. Uh, who else was like, you know, obviously Eddie Van Halen, but probably Steve Vai, Eddie Van Halen. And oddly enough, one of my other shredder idols is uh, Nuno Betancourt from wow. Stream, who's like just ridiculous guitar player to me. I don't think they ever got like the respect, you know, they kind of got kind of got the rep because of their ballad songs, but he was yeah. just a ripping guitar player. Well, same kind of deal with say Paul Gilbert from Mr. Big. Yeah. How many people are a better guitar player than than Paul Gilbert, but he gets pigeonholed as the to be with you guy, even though Eric Martin wrote it, just like Nuno Bencourt gets pigeonholed as the wholehearted yeah. words guy. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying Get the Funk Out is the greatest song ever, but there's chops to that. Oh, my God. Well, I've, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I've seen them a few times in the last 10 years. Uh, Wait, what's embarrassing about that? Oh, no, it was freaking awesome. They're, they're <laughs> one of the best live, you, you know, because, I mean, a lot of that stuff, the, a lot of the hair stuff, to me, doesn't hold up too well now. <laughs> like, like, it had its time, but when I see a lot of it or I listen to a lot of it, I'm like, oh. You know, the lyrics are pretty dumb in some of it. And some of it's like for every Van Halen, there was three tiers down that some of the bands weren't quite as good. You know what I mean? They got kind of watered down. But but to me, extreme, like their the musicianship and the songwriting and the and the life was just insane. So like seeing them play, I saw them on the 20th anniversary of uh, Pornographic Graffiti and yeah. they played the album front to back. And it was like unreal. <laughs> Like just like any live band today would kill to be as good a live band, you know. And just I'm, I'm with you. If, if you were gonna do the ten hair bands that you can listen to without any guilt, remorse, or calling them a hair band, Extreme is in that top ten. Dokken, I I got Dokken in there. I got you know, in there. I used to I used to like Dokken a lot, but when I listen now, his voice is just so like like light and floaty, you know, because George Lynch is just so like, I don't know, what was it's the second? scary? Yeah, like the second album, un Under Lock and Key, right, with like, It's Not Love, not like, it just sounded so awesome, like, just so good. And then the vocals are just so like floaty and, and you know, it was fine. But I, I, I was a big fan back in the day of them too. I'm trying to think of, if I had my 10, that's tough. White Snake, come on, definite. I've seen them, I've seen them many times, yeah great band uh from the old stuff to to the you know what's the album still of the night and all that stuff to the stuff yeah. of after just great i mean david coverdale's just so good yeah that's great if rudy sarzo was in a band at some point you know it was a good band oh yeah it's funny a friend of mine this guy danny sabers got this new podcast or this video interview and he just had rudy sarzo on and i commented i was like that dude looked like he had more fun playing the bass than anyone I've ever seen. And Rudy commented back. And he was like, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, he's always like licking his bass or just making, you know, he's just, yeah, that dude's seen it all as far as rock bass, yeah. Yeah, and when it's an interesting path. I'm in no way going to connect this to you or your career. It's just totally yeah. unrelated to everything. I'm not giving you the warning or you're then going to have to go, well, I am the Rudy Sarzo of composers. <laughs> That's not what I'm going. But the dude like plays in cover bands, 
Then he eventually gets like Ozzy, then Quiet Riot, then White Snake, then somewhere along the way, Blue Oyster Cult, and maybe I'm missing one or two between there and that. That's not a bad discography or, or day job, series of day jobs to have. Yeah. No, not bad at all. I mean, oh, Dio. I miss Dio right there. I think he had one or two tours with Dio. Did he play? He didn't play with Ozzy though, did he? No. He was in Ozzy maybe 81, 83. Like, okay, yeah, I thought he played with Ozzy. Okay, right on. Yeah, no, he's great. It's great. He's great, but you mentioned before Steve I. Were you just a Steve I instrumental fan or you liked his work with Roth a lot? Oh, I love the stuff with Roth. Like, to the, I had, I could play Eat Him and Smile front to back. Like, I had the book and I was like, I was a freak at that stuff. Like, wow. Uh, what was like, yeah, but I liked a lot of the, the songs that weren't hits on it. I liked uh, Ladies Night in Buffalo. The solo on that was a good one. Um, what was the other? But yeah, that was, I love that stuff. Shy Boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Shy Boy, uh, Tobacco Road and all that. Stuff. Yeah, that no, was great. That was, a, I mean, can we, because again, like, I, I guess over time, your tastes change and, and your perspective changes, you know, but, but at that point in time, it was like guitar gymnastics, you know, I mean, there wasn't, you know, a lot of that stuff, it was technically ridiculous, but there wasn't as much feeling, you know, there wasn't as much emotion in a lot of that, that, you know, I mean, Yngwie Malmsteen is a ridiculous guitar player, you know, but like after five minutes, I'm kind of bored because I've heard enough sweep arpeggios to last for the next 20, you know what I mean? Sure. I, I appreciate it. And I, it, you know, and it's great, you know, but after a point, like it's, it's musically boring to me, you know, although but, I, I did like St- Joe Satriani as well. Cause I felt like he was and Eric Johnson. Cause I felt like they also hit the emotion beyond like their technical wizardry or whatever, but they also can, can get to the, to the emotion of it all, the musicality of it all. Sure. Um, you know, like you could sing, uh, a lot of Joe Satriani songs, you can hear the tune and know that that's, that there's a tune there, you know, it's not just the solo, it's the <laughs> tune really good. Where Vi, I, I love a lot of his stuff, but a lot of it's pretty inaccessible. Like, like it, it gets very Zappa-ish and it gets very music, you know, very music nerd-ish and it's, it's you know, it's, it's a harder listen. And I, in fact, went to Disney Concert Hall a couple of years ago, uh, and because Steve Vai was part of this classical thing. Really? And he, he had a classical piece performed where he was w- w- with the orchestra and he played guitar. And I'm sad to say, I, I didn't think it was that great. And I'm like the hugest fan in the world, but it just, some things aren't meant to go together. And for me, that was one of them. You when know? you say that you could play Eat and Smile front to back, does that mean that you could do the talking guitar bit from Yankee Road? I mean, I, I knew how to play it. I could do my best my best version of it, but I spent hours and hours learning all that stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that was to me, that album was great because it had humor. It had really catchy songs, like ridiculous musicianship. And it was just like a moment in time, you know? Well, I'm, I'm a big skyscraper fan. Did you fall into that record too? Yeah. Like, what was uh, your tail off point? Was it she's my machine? Like a lot of people say it was. No, probably after skyscraper, I kind of, there were some good songs. I, I liked, uh, uh, Damn good. That was on Skyscraper, right? Yes. That was a great tune. Uh, some of it was a little slick. I didn't like the Just Like Paradise. I mean, it was okay. 
but it, like it got, it, it, I felt like Eat Him and Smile was a little more raw, where where Skyscraper was so slick and produced. That, but there were there were a bunch of good songs on there. I just can't remember. Was that Hot Dog and a Shake? Right? Was that that was one of Hot Dog and a Shake was on that record, I believe. Um, the um, the bottom line is my scratching my head, like mind blown kind of song. Do you know that one on Skyscraper? Yeah. I don't know how they could perform that live, yet the Matt Bissonette could do the Sheehan stuff not flinching. Right. Yeah, there was a thing. Uh, there's a, a bowling alley out here called Lucky Strike. Mm-hmm. And before this all happened, they would have this Thursday night jam night. And the house band, a lot of times Billy Sheehan would be in the house band, so he'd go and see. And, and there was one time, I think it was like three years ago, but there was a rumor that, Eat Him and Smile band was going to play. And apparently they pulled up in a limo outside. And I was so pissed because I had to go out of town for, it was like around Thanksgiving. So I wasn't going to be there. And I was so pissed, but I'm just texting my friend who was in line the whole time. And they were showing up to play, but the fire marshal shut them down and they wouldn't yeah. let them in. Yeah. So. It makes you think if it was like a David Lee Roth publicity stunt kind of thing to get it shut down. Cause yeah. I would have done it, but, you know. No, but they, like, Vi had played there a few weeks before. So I've seen them all there. So it wouldn't have been that much of a shocker to see them play. And it would have been cool. I mean, I would love to see. And I, I can't believe they never put it together again after that. But Right. I mean, everyone seems to be friends from that group. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Matt and Greg Bissonette like a month or so ago because they have a new band called The Redcoats. Yeah. And speaking with Bissonette, you realize – He's played on so many things you don't realize that he played on. Both the Bissonettes played on all those musical cues for the show Friends. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. There's cool video. I can send you a link to their last day in the studio, which is a cool thing they sent me. But they did that. And Greg Bissonette was on the Pat Boone record, the Pat Boone metal album. Uh, Well, I just saw maybe less than a year ago, I saw at the Baked Potato here at Jazz Club. Yeah, and, and Matt Bissonette played drums, and I didn't know he was a. It was it was uh, uh, Steve Lukather was playing guitar, and then Jeff Babcock on keyboards, and uh, Bissonette on drums. And I didn't know he was like a jazzer. I didn't know he could do that stuff, and he was he was awesome. He was cool. Well, what I was getting at is, has anyone from any David Lee Roth band incarnation wound up playing on the score of anything? Long shot here, but you never know. Well, Steve, I played on uh, Bill and Ted. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. On the first Bill and Ted. Well, I mean, something that you did. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> something that, no. But that's a great idea. Uh, who, who could I get? We'll probably get this and that. That would be the easiest one to get a hold of, right? You could get the brothers, and who are, you know, two-fourths of the Skyscraper album. Looks yeah. like you get John 5 pretty easily if you like the, the DLR band stuff going forward. Oh, that's right. I never heard that. I, I just heard on your podcast that he, I listened to that oh, episode. That, thank you. And yeah, uh, I didn't know that he did an album with David Lee Roth. Yeah, those are the songs that have been coming out through Roth's comic book and all the online stuff. It's an album that, depending on who you ask, him and John Five made an album in 07 or 2013 or 2014. No one knows when it was made, but... <laughs> He did that, and then he was on the the uh, DLR band album in '98, which he did guitar and bass under Alias. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I I wasn't as familiar with John Five. Um, I've seen a lot of his videos recently because he's really good. Um, I'm good friends with uh, Fred Corey from Cinderella. 
Yeah. He's always, just, he's always just like John five did that. John five. Like, he's just raving about how good John five is. So I, I've checked out more of his stuff. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> dude's good. Have, have I read correctly that Fred has become a composer and is right for commercials? So then that was going to be one of the other things I asked you. Are you the kind of composer that hangs out with other composers or wants nothing to do with other composers? No, you know, in the beginning, I did not hang out with other composers. But then I realized, like, we're all a bunch of weirdos and it's better to hang out. We're like, like the only ones who get each other, you know? Like, I mean, I think we're all like insecure and, you know, don't want to like give away, you know, we're all competitive, you know, but I realize that's stupid and it's better to hang out with people you have stuff in common with and you have common interests. And, and I just realized a lot of people that I gravitate to are composers because that we kind of all see the world the same way, you know? And I've also kind of just realized I've been in this long enough to realize that you kind of can't like, yeah, we're all competitive, but we all get our moments, you know, and you can't be jealous of someone else's success. You kind of got to be happy when someone else gets a victory because it wasn't your victory anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, and it all comes around and, and, and going through life, just being envious of people is just a shitty way to go through life. You know, I mean, it's just For sure. a fulfilling way to live, you know? So yeah, I guess I grew up a little bit uh, as far as that goes, as the years have gone on. And it's better because I mean, almost everyone I talk to is a composer now, for better or for worse. But yeah. Well, bring it back to Ed Van Halen for a second. With all the obituaries that have come out and the tributes and all that, it seems like he only hung out with lead guitarists. It seems like all of his friends were guitarists and right. he was not jealous or in fear of losing a gig. Right. And it seems like the case with Lukather and all the other geniuses. Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I, I, I would venture to say they probably, when they were early on in their careers, they were probably a little more, you know, a little more attitude and a little more defensive about that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, geez, Lukather's played on probably more things than anyone in history, I bet, you know, like that we've not even known some of the stuff. I mean, it's just ridiculous when you look at all the stuff he's played on. For um, sure. And, you know, yeah, the Eddie Van Halen really hit me hard. Like, I, I, I didn't realize how hard that would hit me, but it's like a part of your life, you know, like something that's been a part of your life as long as you can remember, especially as long as you can remember music, you know, to realize that that's not there anymore. is like, that's a bummer. Yeah, it is. There's no getting around that. That one hurt more than any other musician I could think of in the last 20 years, but but yeah. bringing it back to you, did I read correctly in IMDb that you were scoring for the show Heels? Yes. Do you that know is, uh, As a wrestling guy? Oh, nice. Reading yeah. about that show for like three, four years, I went, ah, no one's going to make that. That's Oh, really? I, I'll tell you what, I'm like so excited about this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's not it's it's not a comedy <laughs> it's a, it's right. a drama and yeah it's i've been for the last 10 years saying my goal is to do a sports movie like a sports a sports i mean that's that's because you know i like doing emotional music you know some people like doing big action music i like music that goes for the heart you know and i feel like in a sports show or movie is the one place you can actually do it and it's okay to do it you know what i mean and uh so when I, I read the script for this, I'm like, oh, my God, it sounds perfect. You know, it's I kind of liken it to like Friday Night Lights meets I don't know. It's good. So, yeah, I did. it. I, I, I got a friend who's a music supervisor, this guy, Jonathan Leahy, and, and I, I, I hunted it down. 
And I got a chance to demo and I, I read the script and I wrote a piece of music that, that got me the gig. I mean, from reading the script. So, and it knocked on wood, as far as, you know, they're still shooting, but right. the, the tune from this piece I wrote is still like the main theme of the show. So we'll see what happens, but it's, it looks awesome. I mean, I, it's still early. Like COVID has definitely changed the, cause I think they were supposed to start in June and then it got pushed and uh, they started in, I forget, October maybe. So I think they're, they, I think they're finishing half the episodes and then they're going back, I think second week of January to start principal photography on the second, but like, uh, the set it, it looks awesome like if you're a wrestling fan it's it's great yeah, I mean, all the ties between 80s metal and wrestling yet hit you or is that yet to be discovered no well, it's funny uh no there's there's like and i hope i'm not saying anything i'm not supposed to so i'll be careful because like some of these things before they come out like you got to be careful about of what course you're embargoes yeah. yeah 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 uh but they're one of the show creators uh is a, his brother's a musician and they created like there's a lot of thought going into the intro songs for these wrestlers that come out and there's definitely some metal going to exist there and the his brother wrote a song and uh it's if you like it's really good i mean it's like it's a really good metal tune and it's it's i think it's going to be the theme for one of the main uh wrestlers of the show cool um, uh I mean, I can't wait. I, I mean, I'm, it's really cool. That's one of the shows I'm psyched about that you hear that's that's coming out. And let's see, looking through this, I didn't realize that you were doing Young Sheldon this whole time. Yeah. That, that leads me to, to wonder, how are you able to work on so many shows at once? I, I don't know. I, I mean... And people think I'm a freak because I, I don't have a, I don't have an assistant. I don't have people like I write. I, I honestly, God, write every note of everything. However bad it is, it's all me. You know, you know, it's, <laughs> no, like, there's a lot of, you know, it's a thing now. And I, I get it. You know, a lot of people have these big, these companies of people. And right. I get it. But, I'm you know, I mean, I've been able to work on four or five things at a time. And, I've, you know, I've never gotten to the point where I couldn't do something. So. Why change? You know, I mean, it worked for me. I'm sure we all have our different, but for me personally, like I, I just, I don't want to do it if I'm just managing people, you know, like I get no satisfaction out of money, making money. And, and you know, I want to finish an episode or film, finish a film, put the cues in iTunes and listen to it. And I know why everything was written where it's, you know, how they all connect. And, and I would just me personally get no, I don't want to put it in and be like, oh, I wrote three out of 12 cues on that episode. And, but I got paid a lot, but that, that's not, that's just not me. I mean, I probably should try it a different way because I seem to be the only person who's doing it that way, but that, I don't know, old habits, but yeah. I respect the hustle. I'm not going to knock the hustle on any level. And if, if it's your craft, you do your craft. Yeah. You know, I mean, after my band days, I, I just remember saying, I forget, like my parents were like, you know, what are you going to do with your life? You know, like this music thing, you know, you got to make money. What do you, and I remember just, I was driving from uh, DC to Pennsylvania and I just remember, you know, my parents really gave me the sit down, you know, cause like it got, it gets harder the older you get, like 
you know, when you're 18 or 20 and you're in a band, it's one thing, but like when you're pushing 30 and you're still trying to get signed and all that stuff, you know, it's like your parents don't like it quite as much. And people start wondering if you're, you know, when you're going to grow up a little bit. So, it got, you know, I remember those years got pretty hard, but I just remember driving back and I was like, all I want to do is figure out a way to sit in a studio and write music all day, you know, like that's, and I just had that kind of epiphany, you know, I mean, all the others, I never did it to make money or cause like this was the path. Honestly, I never, you know, after spending a decade driving around in a van for 50 bucks a night, you know, trying to get signed, you know, money's not really the reason you do that stuff. It was just, but I just, you know, that's what I want to do with my life. So in, in that respect, to be able to sit, sit here 20 years later to have still be making a living, making music, you know, it's great. So that's all I ever wanted to do. So that's what I like to do. That's, I, I, that's the reason I got into it. So that's why I do it myself. Cause I like, I like to do it. <laughs> it's you just way. answer what was going to be my last question. You're that good, which was going to be Jeff, any last words for the kids and you got it all right there. Uh, <laughs> the, the craft is the important part. Uh, you figure out a way to make it happen and then you just keep doing it until you can't anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, well, I always thought you get somewhere and then you're there, but I realized somewhere along the way, you're never there. You know, it's like, it's, it's a constant journey. It's a constant, there are constant steps. There's constant victories and a lot of freaking losses. And then you just dust yourself off and you try for the next one, you know? And, um, but that's great. You know, I mean, I learn something musically every day that I, you know, you try to do something just a little different than you did the day before. And that's what keeps you growing because who wants to think that they know it all and just are just repeating it all the time. It's, you know, that's, that's boring. So, um, you know, who knows what it all means. I mean, everything's so different now with all the streaming and, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a movie composer and I, I've done 40 movies, but it doesn't mean anything, you know, like I, I don't know what, it, the whole playing field is changing around us. You know what I mean? Right. And so when I started, it was like, you were a film person or you're a TV person. And there was no, that was a line that just wasn't crossed. You know what I mean? And now it's like a streaming show has, you know, whatever Thomas Newman or, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're everyone's competing against everyone and it's yeah. all, you just never know. And it's, it's exciting, but it's, it's scary and it's frustrating. And it's, you, I, I don't, I don't know if we ever get to this plateau where you feel I'm safe for now. I'm, I'm here so I can breathe easy, you know, because like there's always someone coming up, <laughs> nipping at you. And now that's the other thing. Like, I suppose I'm not like the new guy anymore, you know? So, and so then you realize, oh, whoa, there's this 25 year old who just got this big movie and they're the hot shit now. And it's like, <laughs> you have to figure, you know what I mean? Like you just constantly, your ego is constantly put in check and, 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 and it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting, you know, and there's a lot of great stuff and there's a lot of different viewpoints and different stuff that's people do things that you wouldn't do. And like, I don't know, like I just, I listened to uh, the Tenet soundtrack a bunch from Ludwig and it's just, fucking mind-blowingly good <laughs> it's like i don't know how he did some of it and i'm just like and it's cool sometimes it's great to have to just get floored by something and you're just like that is so good i just want to quit you know <laughs> well because I, we need that you can't get complacent you know <laughs> it's like 
I would say to worry about what you're saying if your last film credit was just Friends. But yeah. <laughs> if, if you were still going, hey, you ever hear the movie Just Friends? I did that. I, I, I have this friend. Really? Like, who's this is the first I've talked about that in about 10 years, probably. Because, you know, the funny thing is uh, that the producer put, he put it on Facebook because it's become like a Christmas thing now, like every Christmas, you know, and uh, I forget about it. I never talk about it. But the, one of the producers, I'm friends on Facebook and he's like, 15 years ago today, I'm like, 15 years ago, holy crap, I can't believe it's been that long. You know, it goes fast. Yeah, I mean, it all goes fast. Um, well, you never want to be that person who's one hanging the hat on the one film credit from X number of years ago, and then you have to describe what happened in the film for the people to get the context of it. So fortunately, you, you know, <laughs> if you go, uh, well, you, AP Bio and Young Sheldon, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As long as you have a credit from last year or the year before, right. you're fine. Right. You don't have to do that game. No, no, no. Yeah, that hasn't been the problem. It's just fine-tuning what's next, you know? I mean, uh, I don't know. I did say it by the bell, so obviously I'm not that. Uh, I'm not that. That was so much better than you realized, that show. Oh, dude, dude, I... I when I was doing it, I was like, this is going to be the final nail in my coffin of my career. <laughs> but the people are so awesome. And I was like, I'm the, you know, there's some really cool people. And uh, the reviews, when I, they started, I could not believe how good they, I mean, once the New York Times gave it a and like, I could not believe how good they were. And it's not surprising. I mean, Tracy, the, the creator and Franco, the, I mean, she's, she's genius. You know, the writing was really good. And uh but you, you just never know. It goes, it just basically means I don't know anything. You're, you're just along for the ride and you do the best you can. And, and I have no idea how any of it works after that. You know, those sound like the lyrics to going crazy by David Lee Roth. Yeah, yeah. You, you go and you do the best you can. Uh, well, and the whole point is, thank it's you. All you, can do. <laughs> all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. All you can do is do your best and all the rest of it's out of your hands. It's, it's to the movie gods or whatever. And you can only hope that something you latch onto, you know, rising tides raises all ships. You can only hope you do something, you know, I, I'd be happy to do one cue on something that becomes something. Cause you know, that, that changes a lot. You know, if you're on something that gets that buzz, then it, everything is just better because of that. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming next because yeah. your streak of great projects just keeps going. So, Jeff. Thanks, man. Outrocast.